Verse 16 says, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have today to once again be in this place. We thank you that we have a God that uh, wants us to worship, a God who wants us to pray to, and a God who cares for every need. We thank you you gave us your word, this precious book, uh, in which is contained, Father God, wonderful revelation of you and uh, your Son. And we thank you, Father God, for the truths that are here contained. We pray today as we open up your word that, Lord, we will learn from you and indeed learn of you. Lord, that you would just uh, use me to your glory today, that I might speak your word in truth. May you be exalted, may you be praised, may everything we do and everything we say in this place honor you. Guide our time now, we pray in your word, and bless our time in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Having commanded us to rejoice with those who do rejoice and weep with those that weep in verse 15 of this chapter, we're now commanded to be of the same mind one toward another in verse 16. And the truth is this command of verse 16 will help you and I to obey the earlier commands, particularly the command of verse 15, rejoice with those who do rejoice and weep with those who weep. If you and I can learn to be of the same mind one with another, then you and I will find it easier to fulfill the commands previously given and particularly that command in verse 15. Paul is instructing us here about attitude. The attitudes that you and I need to have as believers. The thing that identifies this as being an attitude is the word mind, which is mentioned here twice in this verse. Be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own Conceits. Pastor Mitchell said this on this verse. He said, this is something that exists on the inside. How we think, the attitude we have, determine the actions we display. The attitude we have, determine the actions we display. And there are three clauses here in this verse, and each build on the same idea. Each clause has something to tell us about the mind, about how you and I ought to think as believers In the first clause, we learn about the same mind. In the second clause, we are told not to mind certain things. In the third clause, we are told not to be wise in ourselves. So let's consider these three clauses this morning. First of all, we need to note that we we are to have a consistent mind, a consistent mind. At the beginning of the verse there, it says, be of the same mind one toward another another. Of course, here in the Greek literally reads the same mind one toward another. You and I have the same mind one toward another. In other words, you and I are to be, act the same way towards each other. We're to think alike. We're to act alike. We are to uh, act in the same way, think in the same way towards each other. We should not put some people in one category and treat them one way and put others in another category and treat them differently. We ought to treat each other the same, everybody equally. 
within the body of Christ. We ought to be consistent in the way we think about each other. Now, the base of this is the fact that God's grace is great is the great leveler for the believer. Go with me to First Corinthians, please. Chapter twelve. First Corinthians, chapter twelve, and verse thirteen. It's already verse 12 to get the context. It says, But as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that body be many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have all been made to drink into the one Spirit. You know, God is no respecter of persons. And the truth is, nor should we be. God shed his blood, or rather Christ shed his blood for men and women, for Jew and Gentile, for bond and free. You know, if God accepts a soul, saves a soul, makes that soul his child, then who are we to treat anybody poorly? I mean, everybody here today who knows Jesus Christ, the Savior, our child of the King. We're equal. The cross is the great leveler. You and I are equal. There is no such thing as bond and free, Jew and Gentile, male and female. As far as God's concerned, we're all part of the family. He saved us all. One commentator said this, one of the worst things for any human being is to be left out, to have that terrible feeling that they do not belong Knowing the church of God should feel like they are a second-class citizen. You know, the Lord is calling here for you and I in the church. He's calling for harmony in the church. He puts it this way in Philippians 2.2. 2, it says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. We're to be like-minded. We're to be of one accord. We are to be of one mind, exercising the same love towards each other. You know, the devil loves nothing more than to divide the church, loves nothing more to disrupt the harmony of the church. If we're not on our guard, the devil will drive a wedge between us as believers. And the strength of the church, the strength of the body of Christ comes in our unity, comes in harmony, where you and I are on the same page as each other. And that's why the Bible says we are to be of the same mind, because that's where our strength comes. I read a story this week about an event that took place up in the far north of Alaska to a herd of reindeer. The herd was suddenly attacked by a pack of wolves. At first, the reindeer was very disorganized, and they began to kick and lash out at these wolves, but because they were unorganized, they were kicking each other, and sometimes kicking some of the younger reindeer. Finally, almost by instinctive nature, they got together, and the reindeer put their heads together in a circle and put the younger, weaker animals in the center with the rear legs toward the outside. And they then began kicking out and defending themselves from the wolves. And the wolves finally left. It was when they got their heads together that they had the strength to ward off the wolves. 
Of course, there's an obvious lesson for you and I in that story. Is that when you and I get our heads together, when you and I live in harmony, when you and I are of the same mind one toward another, you and I have strength to be able to repel the attack of the devil and any attack that he throws at us. Because we have a consistent mind, we are the same mind one toward another. Secondly, in this passage, we're to have a condescending mind. It says there in verse 16, be of the same mind one to another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estates. A condescending mind. This is how you and I have the same mind one to another. How do we practice this? The command is be of the same mind one to another. Now, how do we do that? How do we go about being of the same mind one toward another? Well, we do that by minding not high things and condescending to men of low estates. Again, what we have in view here is an attitude of heart. And the attitude is that we are not to make distinctions based upon a state or position. We are to be kind to all kinds of people. You know, the reality is it's not God that gives preference to one man over another or one woman over another. That's what we do. God sees us all as equals. God sees us all as sinners saved by grace. In fact, there's only two kinds of people in the world and there's only one kind of person in the world, that's a sinner. The only distinction is that they're either saved or unsaved. And those who are saved are all saved by grace, by the grace of God. And God does not play favorites. God does not show favoritism. God does not show distinction between individuals. We're all the same in the eyes of God. We're his children, gloriously saved by his grace. The ones who make distinctions are you and I. We live in a world where there are those of high estate, those who hold high positions, and those of lower state, those who exist in lower positions. And we all, if we're not careful, tend to give preference to those of higher state. You know, we give preference to the rich man, to the important person, to the sporting champion. And we give little or no thought to the unknown person. And you and I might say, well, no, we don't do that. But, you know, if we're not careful, we can all do that. We can all show preference to a certain group of people. To give deference to them, to be more interested in them, to show more respect for them than we do for other people. That's especially true to someone who is considered poor or lowly. But, you know, whether the person is of high estate or of low estate, whether that person is rich or poor, whether that person is important or not important, we're not to show partiality. If you and I are going to be of the same mind one towards another, then you and I need to not be high-minded towards anybody. We ought to condescend to all men. You and I need to remember that the ground at the cross is level. Everybody comes to Christ the same way. Everyone comes by grace through faith. Everyone makes the same trek to Calvary. 
ground of the cross is level. You and I are all sinners. Before a holy God, we've all fallen short of God's grace and God's glory. And all of us have to come by faith to the cross of Calvary and trust Jesus Christ as Savior. There is no other way. And so you and I need to remember that no matter who is in the congregation, we're all saved the same way and it doesn't matter whether they're rich or poor, whether they are important or unimportant. We're not to show partiality one towards another. One commentator said this, I could say there is no such thing as a VIP in the church of the Lord Jesus. That's really wrong because all of us are VIPs in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in the mind and in the heart of God, we're all very important people. There's no way you can look down your nose at somebody else and say, you're not my kind of person. You see, we're all sinners saved by grace. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we're all going to hell. We're all destined for a Christ's eternity. The only thing that's special about us is that you and I are saved by grace and we can't look down our nose at anybody else. Nobody else is less important than you and I. No one else is more important than you and I in that sense. We're all sinners saved by grace. And there's nobody here today who God saved because you were something special compared to the rest of us. We're all saved by grace. And in this passage, what's been attacked is this, or rather what Paul is doing is attacking this subject from the angle where the problem exists. Where the problem exists is in the heart and in the mind. It's how we think. See, our thinking is the problem. Our thinking is what's clouded by society. Our thinking is what's clouded by the environment in which we live. We live in a world where preference is given to certain groups of people, to certain kinds of people. And you and I are influenced by that. And if we're not careful, our thinking becomes thinking like the world. The problem comes when you and I show partiality to people of high estate or high mind, or we mind high things. We give preference to them. James chapter 2 shows this must have been a problem, especially, and let's turn there. <coughs> Excuse me. James chapter 2 shows that this must have been a problem, especially among the Jewish believers of the early church. You know, the Jewish tradition was that a person was rich because God had blessed him especially well. In other words, his riches were due to God's blessing. And so because a person was rich, preference was given to the rich person because God had blessed them over the poor person who God had not blessed. Just remember how surprised the people were when Jesus said that it was harder for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get saved. Jesus was writing, James was writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad and he warns them against partiality. Look in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. He says, My brethren, have not the faith O Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. For there come unto you, or rather, if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring, in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. 
And you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou here, or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves, and have become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which hath he hath promised to them that love him? Be ye, uh, but ye have despised the poor. Do not the rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. It's a pretty powerful passage. We're not to be respecter of persons. We're all equal before God, rich and poor, lowly and high. And we all need to practice the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need not to be high-minded when it comes to thinking of other people. We're all equal. One commentator said, if you think somebody else is not good enough to come to church, you're too good to associate with them, you've just violated this wonderful law of courtesy. And that's what James says. He says, but if they respect, if you have respect to person, verse 9, you commit sin. You commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. We're not to show respect to persons. We're not to be high-minded. We had to have a condescending mind. The attitude that we're, to, we're exhorted to have here with each toward each other is a consistent mind and a condescending mind. A mind that brings glory to the Lord. Lost my place in my notes. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the Jews, as I said, were high-minded in things. They despise the lowly. And James scolds them for doing so here in James chapter 2. And we're not to be high-minded. We're not to have high-minded towards people or things, but rather condescend to men of low estate. The word condescending here in verse 16 of Romans, the word condescending means to go along with. It means to go along with the lowly. Not to show preference to some and deference to another. Seems to be a problem also in the Corinthian church. Because when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he explains that some of them were seen to be spiritual giants, where others, again, were perceived to be spiritual nobodies. And the church of Corinth was treating them accordingly. If you were perceived to be a spiritual giant, you were given preference. If you were perceived to be a spiritual nobody, you were given no preferences. And this is addressed for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's go there, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 20. 1 Corinthians 12, 20. It says this, But now are they many members, yet but one body. 
And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. And one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know, here we're told about the body, the, the church, that all members are important. That even the comely members, those members that aren't seemingly significant, those members that you can't see, they're important. They have important value. You can't see your heart, but without your heart you can't live. You can see your hand, but you can't live without your hand. The comely parts are just as important as the visible parts. In fact, God says that he's, he gives more abundant honor to that which lacked. Look in verse 24. It says, For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given them more abundant honor to that part which lacked. When it comes to the care and attention in the body of Christ, there should be no preference given to tall poppies, one commentator said. Our attitude should be to get alongside the lowly. You know, you and I need to have an attitude where you and I speak to those who are least able to express themselves, that we take the time to talk to them. That you and I take the time to sit with those who otherwise might sit alone. That you and I would befriend those who find it hard to find friends. that you and I identify within the body those who need special attention, special encouragement, special time of being with them. You know, there always are within groups of people those who find it harder to be part of the group. They're sitting alone. You know, we ought to be able to identify them and make the effort to go and talk to them. Nobody should sit alone. Nobody should not find a friend within the church. We should all be able to be friendly to one another. You know, I always appreciate it. I, I, I always uh, love it when I see somebody who comes to visit the church and some people from the church make the effort to go and talk to them. It's wonderful. It's, it's nice not, you know, as a pastor, you always feel, well, if nobody else is talking to them, I'll go and talk to them. But it's always better when somebody from the congregation goes and talks to them, and you're good at that. I appreciate that. I'm sure pastor appreciates it too because it's a blessing to see. You know, we don't, we don't often look around and find somebody sitting alone for very long. Sooner or later, somebody will go and talk to them, and that's a blessing. And that's what's being talked about here in Romans, about making ourselves friendly, making ourselves known, making those who feel a little bit out because they don't 
find, they don't find it easy to talk, don't find it easy to make friends. You know, some people are very, very shy, find it very, very hard to go up and make a conversation start. And I praise the Lord that you're so good at being able to go to them and start that conversation. That's what Paul's talking about here. Our attitude should be to get alongside them. This exhortation tells us that God want, doesn't want stuffy, snobby Christians. He doesn't want us to turn up our noses at anybody. He wants us to condescend to men of low estate. You know, that's what the Lord did. He condescended to become a lowly man, born in a stable, born into poverty. He lived with the lowly. He kept company with sinners. He said foxes had their holes and birds have their nests, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself and dwelt with the lowly. And if you and I are going to walk in the steps of the Savior, if we're going to walk along with him, then we need to condescend the lowly. Historians tell us that one of the reasons why the Roman Empire crumbled was because of the advent of Christianity. You know, in the Roman Empire, at the time of the uh, arrival of the church, Rome was a class-conscious society. You had the plebeians, and you had the publicans, and you had your slaves. But in the church, masters and slaves sat together at the same level. If you and I had went to visit Rome in the first century, you and I would find it was a very class-oriented society. If you were of the lower class, you had nothing to do with the upper echelons of society. But when the church came into existence, and we're told there is no such thing as bond and free, and James spends a lot of time, doesn't he, talking about masters and servants, and how they are to be of the same mind to each other, and in the local church, if you've gone to the first century local church, what you'd have found in the local church is something totally different than you'll find anywhere else in Roman society. You would find masters and slaves sitting next to each other in the same pews. If you went anywhere else in Rome, you would never find that. If you'd gone anywhere else in society, you would have seen the rich and the wealthy and those who were, were of higher echelons sitting at the front. And those of lower estate to the back, and if you're really bad outside. But not in the church. And they say that a core, part of the cause of the crumble of the Roman Empire was the, in, uh, the initiation of the church, whereby those walls are broken down. Where we were no longer high-minded, where the church was not high-minded, it condescended to those of lower estates. And I said, we need to practice the grace and mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ because we're not to be high-minded. The attitude that we're exhorted to have is a consistent mind, a condescending mind, and now thirdly, we're to have a Christ-like mind. It goes on to say in verse 16 of Romans chapter 12, it says, 
Be of the same mind one to another. Mind on high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Literally that reads, and be not wise in yourselves. The word wise here comes from the same root word as the word mind in the first two clauses. So once again, how we think, what's our attitude is involved here. Even though the word mind is not used, it's the same idea. Be of the same mind, mind not high things, and be not wise, or watch how you think in your mind that you don't become conceited, but we have a Christ-like mind. This expression appears two other occasions in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And verse 18. Sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Wrong book of Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And verse 18. It's seen that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For you suffer fools gladly, seeing you yourselves are wise. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, some were questioning Paul's ministry, questioning his authority as an apostle. And it seems that some false teachers were making mileage out of this whole debate about whether or not the Apostle Paul was fit to minister. And the Apostle Paul, he used a bit of sarcasm to reprimand the Corinthian believers. He said that they suffer fools gladly because they themselves were wise. In other words, what he's saying is uh, you suffer fools gladly because you're wise. He's saying actually you really are foolish, but he's just been a little bit sarcastic towards them. Here is the clear expression as referring to having a superior attitude. They felt themselves to be superior to everybody else. And therefore they suffered fools. They gladly suffered fools because they were superior. But in themselves they really were fools like everybody else. And Paul didn't appreciate this attitude because it was a contrary to the word of God. It's contrary to what God wants to have. God wants to have a Christ-like mind. He wants to be of the same mind, to condescend to people, to not be high-minded. And yet they were being that way. The Corinthian believers were being snobbish. They were being high-minded. And then it's used again in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Romans eleven twenty-five. 25. We read this, For it would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, Lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blinds in part happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Here what's been referenced to here is a concern that the Gentile believers, knowing of the demise of the nation of Israel, that God has now grafted in the Gentiles into the stock and for the time being has laid aside Israel. What's been addressed here as a concern that the believers knowing that, knowing of the demise of the Jews and the Jewish faith, might have a superior attitude towards the Jewish nation, that we're special, that we're unique, that we are something that uh, is different. You know, the Jews no longer are important. 
And what's being, what the Lord's concerned about is that the believers would look down their noses at and despise those who God calls the apple of his eye. Now it's true Israel is in unbelief today, but they're still his people. They're still the apple of his eye. Yes, they're in unbelief. Yes, they don't believe in Jesus Christ, but they're still the nation of Israel. They're still God's people. He still does care. He still wants to see Jews saved. And the day is coming when God will restart his program for Israel in the tribulation so that ultimately they might enter the millennial kingdom and God fulfill his promises to Israel. And Romans 11 is concerned with the fact that somehow, as believers, you and I would think ourselves to be superior to Israel and forget that they've been laid aside for a period of time simply so that the church, made up of Jew and Gentile, might be saved. And so being wise in your own conceits, being wise in yourselves, refers to having an attitude of superiority. We're not superior to anybody else. Once again, we're sinners saved by grace. The only difference between us and Israel is that we believe and they're in unbelief. But any Jew who trusts Jesus Christ as Savior today becomes part of this body, the church. You see, an attitude whereby you and I are wiser and conceit is an attitude of looking down on others because we have a superior position to them. But what the Lord wants from you and I is that you and I would humble ourselves and you and I realize that we are nobodies, that we are nothing except for the grace of God. Remember the Apostle Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's exactly true of us. We are what we are by God's grace. It's nothing that you and I have done, nothing you and I have said, nothing that you and I have been able to achieve. It's because of God's grace. And we're not to be wise in our own conceits. We're not to have an air of superiority. Because that's not the attitude God wants you and I to have. It's not, that's not the mind God wants you and I to display. That's not a Christ-like mind. So what is a Christ-like mind? Go with me to Philippians 2, please. Philippians chapter 2. Prince of reading verse 1. If any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So basically, the first four verses are expressing exactly what's in Romans twelve sixteen. We're to be of the same mind. We're to have the same love. We're to be of one accord. We're to have one mind. We're not to let anything done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better themselves. And then he explains to us in verse 5 what kind of mind we're to have. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
So what was Christ like mine? What was his thinking? Well, look in verse 6. He'd been in the form of God, thought it not robbery to equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men and being found in the flesh of man, he humbled himself and became a being unto death, even the death of the cross. A Christ-like mind is a humble servant mind. A Christ-like mind is a mind that holds, doesn't hold on to that which makes him special. It's a great verse. And being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was God, but when he came to earth, he didn't, he didn't uh, 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 just act like that. He humbled himself, it says in verse uh, 8. Being found of the fashion of man, he humbled himself. He was God and is God. And yet he hailed, left heaven's glory. He laid aside part of that very glory that he had with the Father and left that glory. He came to earth and dwelt among us as a man. And what's more, he was a servant to mankind. Ultimately, dying upon the cross, as it says in verse 10, even the death of the cross. Christ-like mind is a mind that seeks to meet the needs of others. Isn't that what Christ did? And just think about his life and ministry. He heals the sick, makes the blind to see, the lame to walk, the dumb to speak. He raises the dead. He feeds the 5,000. He feeds the 4,000. You think of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's seen clearly when he washes the disciples' feet. It shows his servant heart, his humbleness, his Christ, the, the Christ-like mind is one that thinks of others. He was God and he is God, yet he humbled himself. He condescended to those of low degree. Aren't you glad that he did? That he was willing to come down and minister to us where we need him ministering to as sinners on our way to hell. He reached down, lifted us up and planted us on that solid rock because he had a condescending mind. He was willing to Consider us. He was not full of his own conceits. He had a mind that was servanthood, a mind that was sacrificial, a mind that cared about the needs of others. A Christ-like mind is a mind that condescends to the needs of others. What God wants for us is a Christ-like mind. We're not to be wise in our own conceits. You and I are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We're not to be superior to others. We just seek to meet the needs of others. The Lord wants you and I to have a consistent mind, a condescending mind, a Christ-like mind. If these attitudes of godly character are found in our lives, then there will be harmony in the church and there will be a strong witness in the community.
Lord, we need to strive to be like Christ because it will make all the difference when we are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Father God, for this challenge to watch our attitude, to make sure that, Father God, we do not see ourselves as superior to others. We recognize ourselves as sinners saved by grace and that we consider others. The fact that we esteem others more highly than ourselves, that we'd have a Christ-like mind one towards another. Let's know as we close the hymn we pray in Jesus' name.